at the end of the day is what Satyalog gets at, that really, really open ourselves up to, to honest, truthful talk. Truth in this so-called post-truth world, is that still relevant to us? For you, what's the difference between discourse and dialogue? Hello, I'm Jake Chaco, and welcome to the Life of the Mind podcast from the Oak Guild Institute. At the Oak Guild Institute, we want to live, celebrate, and share the life of the mind. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote the book, Satyalog. Well, thank you, Jake, for the friendship, and thank you for this opportunity. You know, as, uh, as for Satyalog, yeah, it's this funky word, you know, Satya and Log. And we'll get to, you know, where does all this come from in terms of Gandhian thinking? So Satya means truth, and it comes from the Sanskrit, Satya. Log, and I think we all know it, monologue, dialogue, uh, is from the Greek in terms of conversation, discourse, talk. So it's truth talk. And Gandhiji really dedicated his life to an experiment with the truth. It's actually the name of one of his books. And you know, as for me, and we'll get back to Gandhiji, and I do use the honorific G to Gandhi uh, as a way of just honoring uh, not just the man, but really in many ways, the way of being in the world. So I did indeed author Satyalog Truth Talks. Satyalog Truth Talk, Gandhian Guide to Postmodern Day Dilemmas. Why did I write this? Is that way of being in the world still relevant? Is you know, Gandhi you know, born in 1869, you know, just shortly after Abraham Lincoln left the world? Is that still relevant to us? Truth in this so-called post-truth world, is that still relevant to us? Well, we have all these dilemmas that we live with, and they've always been there, and they take different shapes. And my belief is we look to the past to really get a sense of how to live in the present and pass along something to future generations. You know, the, the beautiful thing about Gandhiji's pluralistic way of thinking, oh, yeah, he had this phrase. He said, I will build my home with the windows open so thoughts from all over the world can come right through the house but will not blow down my house. So he was open to what he could learn from the Quran, what he could learn from Buddhism, what he could learn, you know, certainly, you know, from the Bible. And he grew up with the sense of the Gita. And really the last words, you know, were the utterance from the Gita for him. Gandhi never met him in his lifetime, but there is a famous USC philosopher who passed away about eight, nine years ago named Dallas Willard. And one of his students asked him, uh, Professor Willard, if you had to choose between truth and Jesus, who would you choose? He said, Always seek truth, and Jesus won't be far away. So that is a powerful 
truth, so to speak. <laughs> this is it. This is, I love it. I, I did not know that quote. You you had mentioned uh, Dallas Willard to me before, and uh, uh, thank you for that. I, you know, Jesus will not be far away. You know, for for me, this is one humble person's perspective on Gandhian thinking. Satya Graha is holding fast to the truth in every situation you find yourself. Respond truthfully. Your truth, which may not be an absolute truth, but certainly is guided by an absolute truth. If you hold fast to the truth in small things, it's easier to hold fast to the truth in bigger things. Uh, so Swaraj is also a portmanteau, a neologism that smashes together two words, two elements of uh, Sanskrit. It becomes self-rule. And to be really quick on this one, this is not just the political self-rule that a lot of people associate with Swaraj, you know, which was India's independence from England. Or if you're a Pakistani, Pakistan's independence from England. I believe what Gandhiji intended by this and the way I internalize it is self-rule as control over oneself. Sarvodhya. So this is actually a movement that is inspired by Gandhiji, primarily now in Sri Lanka, in lots of parts of South Asia, you know, southern parts of India, etc., and has more to do nowadays and is more associated with Buddhism than it is uh, with, uh, with Gandhian thought. But for me, it comes from Gandhian thinking. So serving universal uplift. So sarvodhya, you know, it's compassionately looking at the whole and being of service to the whole. And it really has the sense, my favorite phrase from Sarvodhya is, as you build the road, the road builds you. So the idea is don't do have all these things as you know, fancy thought processes and you live by them, they're in your heads. Instead, live by it every day in your life, you know, with your children, with your spouse, with your grandchildren, with your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues at work. You know, put it into action, put it into work, and do it with a sense of compassion. Mm -hmm. The last one is ahimsa. Himsa is violence. A uh is like, like in English, un or non. Mm -hmm. So nonviolence. And again, you know, the importance here is sometimes we think of this as physical violence. And you know, Gandhiji would stand up against you know, the, the, the British Empire and you know, take beatings and all that type of stuff and go to jail. And that is true. There is the sense of physical violence and nonviolence, but there's also the sense of emotional, spiritual violence and nonviolence. To think a thought and think evil, um, that's also nonviolent. That, that's also violent. And to really have self-rule and to overcome some of those baser instincts is to move towards nonviolence. So for me, it's the four of them together with truth at the center of it as being primary that really guides my way, my worldview that I've really been blessed to glean from Gandhian thinking and others' thoughts on Gandhiji. You know, I'll keep going to all four of these because 
not always successfully, but I try my very best to live, you know, by, uh, by these Gandhian principles. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Raj. That was uh, so good for me uh, to just uh, hear, uh, hear it unpacked and more importantly, to hear it unpacked from you. And you know, I'm a Christian, which is in short words, a follower of Jesus. Um, but at the end, you know, we're all are or should be followers of the truth. And what is uncanny to me is um, that uh, if I look at the teachings of Jesus, uh, there are so many parallels. I mean, I mean, just starting with uh, when Jesus was on trial in front of the Roman governor Pilate, uh, he, he said, I, I came to this world to testify to the truth, to which uh, the, the, the Roman governor said, what is truth? I mean, and so the whole concept of hold fast to the truth. And then when you look at the teachings uh, in the Bible, self-control or self-rule is there through and through. And hello, the universal uplift is all about blessing, willing the good of others, which is what we're supposed to do. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called us to be uh, peacemakers, uh, nonviolence, you know. Uh, so the principles I, 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 I see in the, in, in, in the person that I follow, and, it, and, and it's almost a reminder that if you seek truth, you get to God. And, and, and so as we continue this uh, dialogue, uh, I'm just uh, fascinated by the uh, parallels, and I'm so glad we're having this, uh, this discourse, if you will, this, this discourse. I mean, in, in fact, uh, right in the Gospel of John, it starts off, in the beginning was the word, or logos, right? And it also means reason. And I think part of what God wants to do with us and wants us to do with each other is to have discourse or contested discourse. So maybe uh, before we take a break, just talk a little bit about that because you can have more than discourse, but I think we're supposed to have discourse and dialogue, but we're not, but it can go bad as well. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about that, Raj. So let's talk a little bit about discourse, dialogue, diatribe, and debate. Uh, and, and, you know, Jake, you and I uh, both have, I think, as adults, uh, working professionals, have come across these, you know, two-by-two two matrices. And uh, I was just trying to make sense of this uh, when you talk. You, you, are a, you are a consultant, after all. And what's a consultant <laughs> without a two-by-two, two, Raj? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And, and, you know, like... Like uh, like metaphors that both illuminate things and hide things, I would say two by two matrices illuminate and hide. But let's focus on what it what it's what we're trying to illuminate here. Is it a one way or a two way interaction? That's the first part. The second part, Jake, and are you and I in this? discussion here are we being competitive with each other is it it's my truth just listen to me are we being collaborative with each other let me hear yours so i think if we frame it that way one way or two way competitive or collaborative so let's just walk through this and i'll go from the bottom left here and we know people like this we may have been like this at times 
the diatribe, too which often. is it's too often. Too, too my, often, right? My family and, tells me that all the time. <laughs> you, you know, my my kids, uh, my kids, when they were younger, maybe even today, sometimes had this phrase for me. They call me Papa, but for this phrase, they'd say. Oh, there you go. You're being a didactic dad. You know, it's like you you got the answer. You just want us to do it. Let's go. You know, if you do your homework, you're going to be fine in the world. You know, it's like, so, you know, it's one way and it's competitive and you're really browbeating people. You're just saying, if you don't agree, here's what it is. And you're you know, almost, it is that parent child type thing. You're commanding others that this is the only truth. And obviously, just the way I said that, I find that problematic. Even though I've succumbed to it, I find it problematic. And part of my professional life is when I see people not being up and to the right in terms of the dialogue and being more in a diatribe, is to put a mirror up against them and say, is that really how you want to be in the world? Because that's how others are experiencing you. So let's move from there to debate. Yeah, debate's a wonderful place, but it's an IQ kind of head place. It is two ways, and the idea is to win. You know, it's put in front of us, there's a structure, there's a process. The beauty of the structure and the process is that both voices are heard, um, and somebody comes out a winner, which means that somebody comes out a loser. Um, and I think there's a place for that. I don't, I don't diminish it the way I, you know, try to dismiss and push to the side diatribe. But let's keep moving into discourse. When you first asked me, Jake, now in, in preparation for our conversation today, I said, hey, Raj, for you, what's the difference between discourse and dialogue? And I thought about that because, you know, I, I, I really believe in this idea of contested discourse. But in many ways, what discourse is, is it's one way. You know, it's my version of the truth. I'm not dismissing that you've got one, but I just want to convey to the world, this is how I see it. Uh, and it really does go from me to others, but it's with the hope. Here's where the collaboration comes in. It's with the hope that others are open to hearing it. Um, but it is one way. And that's the shift for me with dialogue. And to me, that leads right to satyalogue. Dialogue really is an engagement. It is a sharing. And when I say information, it's not just this. It's not just the head um, it's all kinds of information. It's, you know, I know you and I both love baseball. Uh, so, you know, imagine a shortstop and a second baseman. Mm -hmm. To me, they're always in dialogue with each other. They're always sharing information. They look at each other and they're sharing information. Um, and they're building a relationship. You can always tell, you know, for me, it's the 1969 Cubs. So it's Glenn Beckert at second base and Don Kessinger at, at short. Mm -hmm. And they're able to pass that ball back and forth and they're able to discover multiple truths, the possibilities that there are multiple truths. Um, and to me, that at the end of the day is what Satyalog gets at, that really, really open ourselves up to, to honest, truthful talk. Uh, this, is, this is great, uh, Raj. And so even just the insights uh, from, uh, from unpacking this and in, in, it's happening in real time, I think because you're a consultant, the right answer has been has to be up and to the right. So you might say <laughs> contested dialogue instead of contested discourse, which is fine. But the, the commentary I might make is for a future podcast, we can look at discourse, dialogue, debate, and diatribe and just look at the the state of the US and how we have these. You know, mm. presidential candidates have debate, the the, the networks have diatribes. 
Um, town halls arguably could be dialogue, but they too often turn out to be discourse. And if only, and if only Congress could have true contested cooperative collaborative dialogue, uh, you know, the, the, the U.S. would be better off. So there's so much wisdom just in, just in looking at these different facets of how we communicate and, and seek truth together. What a terrific way. We, we used that word relevance earlier, and you just made, you know, a, a nice uh, couple, you know, four boxes here, so relevant to the world we live in right now. Um, and yeah, you just made it very real for me. I, you know, I kind of framed it out this way. I said, oh, that'll be helpful. Um, but uh, but uh, you made it even more helpful for me. So thank you. Well, thank you for, uh, thank you for uh, just introducing us to the underpinnings of Gandhiji's philosophies. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll just test it with one of the uh, one more letter to postmodern Gandhi. Okay? Sounds great. Well, I'm back with my guest Raj Oza. Uh, it's been just a fabulous conversation, Raj, and uh, thank you for sharing with us the underpinnings of Gandhiji's philosophy. And it's those philosophies that uh, prompted the many, many letters to the postmodern Gandhi that is in the book Satyalog. Um, as we start to wrap up this podcast, uh, I just want to do a teaser um, because you wrote the book in 2017, I believe, after Donald Trump had been elected president of the United States. Um, so it was very relevant at the time, and it's relevant today, even as we record this, the second impeachment hearings are going. Um, so uh, it's a little bit, potentially a little bit dangerous to venture into truth because you don't know where truth will lead, but we should always follow the truth. But since this is um, one of the first podcasts for the Oak Hill Institute's Life of the Mind, and we want to have you as future guests. We're just going to give our listeners a, a, a teaser. So we're going to start to read the letter and maybe the start of the response, but not get into U.S. politics. How about that, Raj? So why don't, you read, I want you to read a 2017 letter to postmodern Gandhi. That sounds great, Jake. And yeah, a couple of things. So yes, I, yeah, I've been writing the book for many, many years. It was published in 2019 itself, uh, but the letter was written before, but it was during uh, uh, you know, the first uh, years of uh, Trump's uh, administration. I do want to get to the part around dangerous here. So you're right, wading into truth can be dangerous. But just imagine how dangerous ignorance is. <laughs> so falsehood is. So, uh, so that's that's another way to look at that. Please know some of these letters are actual letters from readers. I used to have a column in a magazine called Satyalog. Some of them were letters that I just made up because I wanted to respond to this. This one was a, a letter that I made up. Uh, so here we are. Trump's truth, our as a whole. Your, individually, shame. Dear PMG, PMG is in postmodern Gandhi. The current president of the United States casually and persistently suggests that all news that he doesn't like is, quote unquote, fake news. 
calling journalists dishonest is a preemptive strike from a prevaricating president who's been fact-checked by Glenn Klessler of the Washington Post as having, quote, averaged nearly 5.9 false or misleading claims a day in his first year in office. He hit nearly 16.5 a day in his second year. And so far in 2019, he's averaging nearly 22 claims a day, end quote. At this rate, Trump is likely to have told 20,000 lies, give or take a few thousand whoppers, by the time his first term is complete. Well, we know that number was exceeded. Continuing with the letter here, Jake. As Roger Cohen wrote in the New York Times, quote, there are now two definitions of truth in the United States. The first is that a truthful statement is one that conforms to facts or reality. By this standard, President Trump is a serial liar. The second is that truth is, quote, telling it like it is, or speaking in a direct, unvarnished way without regard to political correctness or the offense it may give. By this measure, for millions of supporters, Trump is the most honest president ever. The United States has already become a post-truth society. Telling it like it isn't has become a form of truth. That's a nation in which chaos is more plausible because the ability to make rational decisions is diminished. Signal and noise can no longer be distinguished. Reading this just hit me like a thunderbolt, right? Because I'm of the camp that would have been saying, see, it's not 20,000 lies. He's out of office and it's over 30,000. I would have been harping, underscoring, underlining that. Um, but the Roger Cohen piece, and I always knew it, the, he is authentic. He is transparent. You know, in, in computer terms, WYSIWYG or what you see is what you get. And, and, and there is an appeal to somebody who's authentic. That's just basic human relationships. And, and you can see why so many people uh, are, are, are drawn to that. People are drawn to truth. And it's that truth that I was willfully ignoring because of the other truth. But a lot of people saw the authentic truth or the authenticity of the person, right? Whether you question his morality or not is a different thing, but they saw his authenticity and that was a form of truth. So thank you for actually putting that letter in. It just opened my eyes in a very different way. So thank you. A different way. So thank you. Well, I think that's where the, the appeal comes from. You know, that's where that sense of charisma is people can latch on to that sense of authenticity. Um, but please, you know, Jake, let me continue in terms of the letter itself. And then, you know, I won't go to the whole response that I wrote, but I will go ahead and close here. Uh, with a quote from Gandhiji in terms of, you know, Trump's truth, our shame. So continuing with the letter, it used to be that I was proud to believe that where America leads, other countries often follow. Now I find shame in thinking that others are following our president's model of leadership, or rather misleadership. Trump has given, if not permission, then certainly encouragement for other authoritarians to become fabulous, to bully, to grift, and to corrupt. In his own corrosive way, 
Trump has misled, a.k.a. lied, to create twin movements of narcissism and nationalism that are not worthy of emulation. And the letter then ends with a couple of questions. I have two questions. Do we all lie with Trump, an outlier in regards to the volume of his deceit? What would Gandhi suggest we do to get ourselves out of this mendacious mess? So here's Gandhiji's response. And he always opens with dear friend. It's such a kind way. And he did that in his actual letters. He would say, dear friend, dear friend, quote, but for me, truth is the sovereign principle, which includes numerous other principles. This truth is not only truthfulness in word, but truthfulness in thought also, and not only the relative truth of our conception, but the absolute truth, the eternal principle, that is God. Wow, that is so powerful, Raj, you know, and it, it just reinforces that, uh, that we should seek truth, we should relentlessly seek truth. Um, and if it leads to uncomfortable places, that's okay, because ultimately it's going to lead us to God. So that is such a powerful statement. Hey, this really, is uh, fabulous. As we wrap up, I just see we're only starting to scratch the surface. And there's so much more uh, dialogue, contested dialogue we can have on so many topics. Um, and it, it, it fits right in uh, with, the, with the charter of the Oak Hill Institute. But as we wrap up, I just have a question still on Gandhiji. Since you and I are um, both... Uh, sons of Mother India, so to speak, and India was influenced by the British Raj. Um, if you look at Gandhi's um, movement, the nonviolent self-rule movement that helped it gain, the country gain independence from, uh, from England, do you think his philosophy and his movement could have succeeded if the British weren't the British? In other words, uh, if the British didn't have a, their sense of fair play or right and wrong? What did the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. do? And you and I were both here in the 60s. And while America is not a perfect state today, it was a less than perfect state to be a black man or woman in the 60s. And the Reverend used Gandhian thinking of nonviolence, holding fast to the truth, to really push back and push forward, push back against the original sin of slavery and push forward the sense that dialogue, that, that other D word, you know, holding on to dreams and expanding the sense of who has those dreams. So it's a long way of saying each one of us gets a chance to experiment with our truth with our lives and say, in this situation, will this work? You know, can we be successful with this person or that person? And my sense is we as individuals will learn what our truths are and how we are in the world by, by staying true to that, to hold on to that the way Gandhiji did. So at the end of the day, I say, yes, absolutely. You know, it applies in many contexts because you do get to say true to yourself. Thank you so much for that. You know, and it just uh, reaffirms 
that we should relentlessly search for the truth and you know to over use that overused phrase the truth shall set you free so whether it was british india uh or the civil rights movement as at the time of this recording we're going into black history month here in the united states or south africa where gandhi ji spent a lot of time you can see the power of uh, we can see the power of truth may i add something here jake because you just said such a great thing the truth will set you free and here's the thing i think when the truth sets you free to own who you are and to own that truth whereas the lie the small and the big lie owns mm. you it just inverses it and you're always locked into that so so thank you for that i mean we've all heard the phrase so many times but i just heard it in a very different way when he just said it now oh no uh, We'd love to have you back. We are just getting started as Oak Hill Institute. So if you like this podcast, uh, please subscribe. Uh, you can get us on Apple or Spotify. But where can uh, listeners find out more about you or, or your book? Or books, rather. You've got another one coming, I know. But where, where can they find out more about you? Yeah, so probably not surprisingly, uh, my website's called Satya Log, S-A-T-Y-A, Satya Log is in dialogue, L-O-G-U-E, so satyalog.com. Uh, so pretty easy, you know, go there, uh, check it out, and there's an opportunity to interact, uh, you know, send questions my way, um, and uh, looking forward to uh, our continued uh, dialogue, Satya Log, Jake. Super, uh, just, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure, and blessings are in Gandhiji's terms, Sarbodia. Okay. <laughs> Indeed. Right. Take care. Indeed.